Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called The Life of Christ, a study in the Gospel of Luke. In this series, we're spending time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. Thanks for joining us. Question. Who taught you how to handle money? Some people say no one. That's why I don't know how to handle it. Or no one, but I I learned um, as I went along. Other people have said, uh, I had a, a grandparent. I had a parent. I had, well, for me, it was my parents and my grandparents. And uh, again, they taught me that had the way we handle money is part of the Christian life. And uh, sometimes we have this temptation to believe that it actually has nothing to do with God or life with God. But I want you to see if you're following along in the notes right away, is that Jesus tells this parable we're going to study today about handling money and possessions. Jesus tells this parable in Luke 16 that we're going to study in just a moment about handling money and possessions. Now, I don't know if you know this, Dr. John MacArthur says that 16 out of 38 of Christ's parables deal with money. More is said in the New Testament about money than heaven and hell combined. Five times more is said about money than prayer. And while there are 500 plus verses on both prayer and faith, there are over 2,000 verses dealing with money and possessions. Obviously, the Bible has much to say about money management. But many of us have seen either those passages abused, you know, or used to kind of get money out of people. Uh, The idea is, is that we want something from you rather than something for you. And what we learn in the scriptures is that Jesus wants something for us. He really wants us to understand that we can learn these things with him. And so he teaches on this. And here's what I want you to see this morning, if you're following along the second line in the notes, is that he says how we handle money reveals our character. How we handle money reveals our character. And that's found in that second gray box. Would you mind reading with me? We'll just read verse 10 and 11 together out loud in that second gray box from Luke 16. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And so there's this idea that it has to do with our character. And that stings for a lot of us. There's something about talking at the end of January about finances after Christmas spending and other things when it all hits us. And so the temptation for us is to either withdraw, to have self-pity, or in some cases for some of you to actually have a sense of uh, inappropriate pride that that may not be your situation. This subject calls for humility on all our parts. This is one of those things where Jesus wants to teach us how to keep growing in Christ-like character. This is one of the ways we become more like Jesus is how we handle our money and possessions. So I want to talk with you about that today, and I want to invite you to open up to Luke 16 in the uh, New Testament there. Hopefully you're getting used to turning to Luke if you've been part of this with us regularly. But if you haven't turned to Luke before, if you want to use one of the black Bibles, it's on page 730. And if you're using your Bible and still getting used to where Luke is, it's about three-fourths of the way back. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 15. And I've uh, listed this message today as faithful stewards. 
I want you to know that this is a story that Jesus told a parable that many people have been confused by. And you may be too, and even after I get done preaching, you may say, Jeff did not unconfuse me. But I'm praying that this message could be useful in your life and that you'll see that Jesus often told parables with a twist so that people would walk away and chew on it longer and wrestle with, what does this mean? And also, what does this mean for my life? And so I hope you'll see that. And so I want to invite you uh, to pray with me as we get ready to look at this parable of the dishonest money manager. Dishonest. Jesus tells a story about a dishonest guy, and then he says, I want you to be like him in a certain way. And people go, what? You're not telling me to be dishonest, are you? Jesus says, no. But even this guy understood something I want you to understand. So let's pray. Now, God, I pray that no matter where we are on the spectrum of things, that people would sense that this is not a message uh, just about giving to the church. This is a message about learning how to handle all of our money the way you want us to handle it wisely. And God, we all need regular reminders, myself included. So I thank you for this opportunity. Help us to take full advantage of it through your teaching. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so let's look at this parable, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. And I listed the first grade box just so we can come back to it later. I'll read the whole thing this Sunday. Normally I have you read besides, but I'll just read the whole thing. Here it is. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, Who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Now let's talk about this parable of the dishonest manager. If you're following along the notes, here's what I want you to notice first, is that he's a steward and he's wasting his master's possessions. 
This dishonest money manager is a steward and he's wasting his master's possessions. That's what it says in verse 1. Now, the word there for manager is uh, a word that actually means ruler of the house. In other words, uh, this owner of the house had actually put him in charge of ruling over all his money and possessions. So he had quite a bit of dominion. And you may remember that very early on in the Bible, chapter 1, God says when he created Adam and Eve, he gave them dominion. He said, you know, rule over uh, what I've given you. He actually placed them over the garden, and he says, I want you to steward it on my behalf. So God has given us this incredible opportunity to partner with him. And the idea of steward here is the same idea. This guy was supposed to treat the money and possessions not like they were only his own, but on behalf of the owner. And if you're following along, that's the word steward. Steward means to, it means manages what belongs to another. That's a definition. Uh, A steward manages what belongs to another. And I just want to stop and say that every time I've ever watched somebody's life change, it's because they they started to understand this. Now, the question becomes, is stewardship about money only? No. It's about whatever's been entrusted to us. So everything you and I have is a stewardship. We may not look at it that way. We may not understand it that way, but God wants us to understand that everything he's given us ultimately belongs to him, and he has given it to us not to see us mess up, but to see us be able to practice that dominion, be able to practice that kind of stewardship. You know, one of the reasons why inside your bulletin we're offering the network class coming up February 1st this week. You know why? Because we want people to be able to steward the spiritual gifts and abilities and personality that God's given you. We want to help you be able to serve with your one and only life during your one and only life. But we also want to teach on how to handle money uh, through Financial Peace University and messages like this on Sunday, not because we want something from you as much as we want something for you. This is what God does all the time. God just is so empowering this way. And I want to just remind you, some of you are not used to our church, and so I just want to remind you that after I get done teaching this message, you need to know something. I never, I made a covenant years ago, I never look at the church books. I don't want any person in this church to ever think that you're more loved because of what you give or don't give. I want you to be free to hear the Lord talk to you this morning about this very subject because we want something for you, not so much something from you. This is the way God does that. And when people's hearts are freed up, then they can follow the Lord. So a stewardship, if in case you haven't seen these verses before, let me just show you what it looks like. First, Psalm 24, 1. Let's read this together. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and its people... Oh, excuse me. I'm not helping you read very well. The world and all its people belong to him. Everything in the world belongs to who? This is not the way we think. We tend to use the word me, mine, that kind of thing. And no question, we do have a certain amount of participation and ownership in it to a sense. But the ultimate ownership is God's. Now let me show you King David. He understood this. And so they were giving a large offering to build the the temple. And here's his prayer as he's dedicating that. He says, everything in the heavens and earth is yours, O Lord. And this is your kingdom. 
We adore you as being in control of everything. Riches and honor come from you alone, and you are the ruler of all mankind. Everything we have comes from you, and we only give you what is yours already. It all belongs to you. First Chronicles 29. Incredible prayer, by the way. And this has been used in many people's lives to go, I'm, I get it. You want me to participate with you. You want to teach me as I handle this money that you've entrusted me. You want to teach me all kinds of character lessons. And you want to ultimately teach me that the way I handle it here now will ultimately be determined how much you trust me with one day in heaven. I want to just stop and say this. A lot of times we think that in heaven we're going to be snoozing. We're going to be worshiping, but also the Bible says is he's going to entrust us with even more responsibility. And what will that be based on? That will be based on the way we handle the responsibility here. So this is not a waste of time. This is not just a, the, everything we learn, our character, the more he can trust us with. So this is very practical. Next thing I want you to see is that uh, this dishonest money manager, according to Jesus, he must give an account of his stewardship if you're following along. He must give an account of his stewardship. Do you see that in verse 2? He calls him in. And you know what? This is a moment of truth. If right now, when you got home, Jesus was waiting for you at your door and says, hey, could I sit down with you and just see how you're handling money? How'd that go? You go, ah, Jeff talked about this giving account thing, but I actually um, was hoping that would be much later. Now, here's the thing. The truth is, is the Bible is referring often to later. But we need to live in view of that to say, you know, I've been given not just grace, but also a responsibility. I'm called to grow in grace and not just say, keep the grace coming, but no responsibility. No, it's both and. It's relationship and responsibility. And part of the way he grows our character is by practical lessons like this. And so he had to give an account. Now, you've seen verses like this before, but we've already covered Luke 12 before. But look at this verse again, just as a reminder. Luke 12, 48. Um, I... I, oh, sorry, we, we included more than we needed. The last part there, to whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. Jesus told this at the end of another parable. And so that idea is, is that when you and I have been entrusted with things, that there is an expectation that we will handle it wisely. But here's another verse that just reminds me all the time. And I think about this, by the way, friends, when I stand in front of you, Someday I'm going to give an account for the way that I've served as a pastor. Someday I'm going to give an account for the money management. Rick Warren says there's really two questions on that day that he'll probably ask every person. What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? And what did you do with what I gave you? And when you live with that kind of sense of accountability, some people say, well, that's like, wow, I don't want that kind of responsibility. The point is, is that kind of responsibility is good for us. It's important. And so here's the verse, Romans 14. Let's read it together. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Every one of us. And on that day, friends, part of why I want to teach on this today is not only because we came to it in Luke 16, but we, we've taught on finances almost every year for 20 years now. Again, not about giving so much as how to handle all 100%. And the reason why is because one day you and I are going to be required by God, believer and unbeliever alike, to stand before God and give an account. 
And he doesn't want us to be unprepared. He wants us to be able on that day to be able to say, by your grace, you worked in my life. I didn't get it right all the time, but this was my aim. And thank you for helping me. So the next thing I want you to see is how does he respond when he loses his job or when he, he finally realizes, uh, I, I did something and I, now I got to decide what I'm going to do. Okay. Now, some of you have been around before when I've talked about these three ideas, but I want to talk with you real quick, and then I want to talk to you about how you can begin to think about your situation and your plan. I want to get really practical with the, most of this message today. So here it is. If you're following along, he does three things. One, he faces reality and carefully considers his options. He faces reality and carefully considers his options. I love this. In verse 3, he asks a question. And this is a question you and I have to ask. What shall I do now? <laughs> no matter how it's gone before, like if you're like in total disaster situation, or if you're in a situation where actually it's been going pretty well for you, it's still a great question to say, what shall I do now? What, you know, what is reality? Now, let me say this. The average American, I've, I've sat with bankers, by the way, and just asked them what they've learned about handling money with people. And a lot of bankers say, you know what's shocking? Most people don't even know the exact dollar amount they get paid. Most people do not know exactly how much debt they have. They don't want to know. Most people don't know where their money's going. When they tell me stuff like this, I go, no wonder. No wonder this kind of thing is such a mess. Why? Because if we just like do guesswork rather than know. So when, when I do premarital counseling with couples, one of the things we do is we have them actually sit down and put in pencil what their actual spending is like. I don't look at those numbers. I do this as an exercise so they can see it for themselves. Because why? Because facing reality is so important. And most of us guess reality rather than know reality. This guy faces reality. He sees exactly what his situation is, and he considers his options. Second, he forms a plan that's farsighted and doable. The word D-O and then A-B-L-E. He forms a plan that's far-sighted and doable. I love how it says in verse 4. He says, I know what I'll do. Okay? And so he begins to form a plan. He goes, look, I can't dig anymore. I know there's certain limitations of what I can do right now. But I know something I can do. And it's something that will not just help me now in the immediate. It'll help me in the future. And he gets, he gets wise. He gets shrewd. Okay? Third. He follows through and sticks with the plan. He follows through and sticks with the plan. As soon as he forms that plan, then he goes out and he goes back to these different people that owe his master money. So he follows through and sticks with the plan. Friends, honestly, I've watched some people, they will actually form their financial plan. It will be beautiful. It'll be on their computer. It'll be in four different colors. It will look gorgeous. And that's where it will stay. This is a character moment. We used to tell our kids. I remember one of our kids, when he first got his own checking account, because we were still on the account for a short period of time, he had started college, we would start getting these $2 overdraft charges or these different things. And I would go, hey, is that really the way you want to see that money go out the window like that? You know what? My, my son, he, he made some changes. And to this day, he learned from that. Why? Because he faced reality, formed a plan, followed through. And I'm thankful to tell you 
that he was able to get on a completely different track, but he had to eventually see what was going on at first about how not to handle money. And that's sometimes for us too. Friends, I'm standing up here. If you would know the first three or four years of my wife and I's marriage, there are just some different things that you would go, Jeff needed help. That's a fact. But you know, I still need help. And this, these things are reminders. These are sharpeners. So here's what it would look like for you and me. Face reality, form a plan, follow through. Face reality, form a plan, and follow through. What does that look like for you? What would that look like for me? Okay, so here's the last thing I want you to see is that his master commends him for showing thought for the future. His master commends him for showing thought for the future. When you see the word shrewd, S-H-R-E-W-D. What do you think of? Most of us think of mischievous. Most of us think of manipulative, clever. And that word can certainly mean that, but that's not what Jesus meant. That's not the word he was using. The word shrewd he's using is the word prudent. And as I was studying this word this week, you know what it means? It means that you are farsighted. It means that you're able to assess your situation And you're able to figure out a way to turn it around for your good. So that's what this guy does. And so a lot of people go, yeah, but like he's like, he decided to waste even more of his master's money in order to make it work for him. Friends, let me read to you what one scholar has said. This is helpful to me. We don't often understand the financial practices of the day. But here's what Tim Keller writes. The thing that is a little hard for us to understand is verse 8. His master comes in, sees what he is doing, knocking off all these big amounts of the debts, commends him, and says, though you are dishonest, you are really smart, really savvy, and commends him. That's where we can't quite figure it out. The best theory is something like this. Probably this manager was putting his own enormous fees into the investment. It wasn't just that his master was getting interest back on the investment. These are large amounts of interest, and they may be large because the manager had put his own fees in there. So by taking his own fees out, not only did he make the debtors very happy with him, he could also use those relationships in the future in his interactions. But his master came along and said, you're actually giving me a better name in this town because of this. You're really pretty smart about what you're doing. So in other words, he wasn't just giving away his master's money. In a way, he was saying, all that I was going to get back out of it, now I take that back out, and now I'm going to figure out a way that it makes my master, I, I can turn this around so my master still gets honored, and I still have a future to look forward to. It's a way of investing. So I just want you to understand that. In other words, he was willing to sacrifice some of the things now because he was looking to later. Now, Jesus is not saying, buy money with, you know, buy friends with your money. It's not what he's saying, but he is using the word eternal. He's saying, look, you can actually invest eternally. You can actually, you know, use money in such a way that you are able to know people, come to know the Lord, people have friendships with you. And I'll talk more about that later, okay? Now, let me just talk to you about a plan. Would you be willing to turn, what would it look like for you to be shrewd? What would it look like, okay? So, every person, let's talk about money management 101. If you turn your notes over to the back side, here's what I want you to see. And these are not, again, this is not um, uh, unique to me. I saw a pastor uh, do this same kind of thing, and this was super helpful, super, uh, super helpful for me. So um, I'm thankful uh, one of the uh, people in our church family uh, drew this. I'm not this gifted, as some of you have seen my artwork before. But anyway, here's what I want you to understand. Every person, 
Every person has to decide what they're going to do with money. And there are three big areas of where money goes for you, me, almost anyone. Okay? Spending, saving, and giving. Okay? Now, so uh, usually every person, in fact, if you're following along in the front of the notes, let me just tell you this is one more line I wanted to give you before we turned over and I forgot. Every person has to decide what they're going to do with the order and percentage of money to route to three buckets. So every one of us have to decide what we're going to do with the order and the percentage of these three buckets. Some of you have taught your children how to handle money and you've used jars or you've used little boxes or whatever. It's, it's just it's the same idea. So this is something just, okay, so... I don't know, again, what numbers, what percentages you would put in these different things for your own situation right now. But so that's the big idea. Now, I want to show you the average American plan. And I put the word plan, but I wanted to say the average American way. Okay? And so here's the idea. The average American, in case you haven't seen these kind of numbers before, currently spends 135, 130, excuse me, percent of their income every month. Some of you know math really well, and you go, how does that work? You know how that works? It's called D-E-B-T. This idea of credit cards, friends, is new in the last 45 years. And it's wrecking our country. It's wrecking people's lives in many ways because now we're able to actually have things now, and by the time we catch up, it's 130%, okay? The other figure is, as far as savings, this has actually gone up a little bit since I first started teaching on this, but 4 to 5%. And some of that is because a sense of panic has hit people, especially since 2008. But one of the things I want you to know is that like, even the difficult news that state workers received this week about wondering whether or not they're going to get paid after the end of February, those kind of things. These kind of things, people start to go, wow. When I was with my parents a couple weeks ago out in Arizona, they said, you know, one of the challenges for us getting older is we're wondering how long our money will last, things like that. Because, you know, things have just changed. So, and here's the last one, and this is pretty much, I'm going to actually round up. But the average American given to any charity, not, not just church, but anything, Red Cross, you know, uh, United Way, anything like that, the average American gives 2 to 3% of their income. We're the wealthiest nation in the world, but that's actually, it's usually somewhere between 1.8 and 2.4. Okay? That's the average. Now, so, um, what would it look like if you and I, just based on what financial Christian counselors, they say as we look at the scriptures, what would be a good way to handle this. And for many years, I've talked about the 10-10-80 plan. Again, it wasn't original to me, but it it ended up being a very helpful thing, and it's consistent uh, with the scriptures in many ways as far as a way to actually live it out. Now, here's what I want you to see. The average American, by the way, does things in this order. They worry about their lifestyle first, then they might save And then they might give. Okay? What the Lord wants us to see is that he wants us, if we really want to steward his money well, he wants us to reverse that. And so, instead, he wants us, again, if if that's the way you've been living, he wants to help you reverse that so that now you actually think 
like this. And here's what, again, an average uh, uh, Christian way of thinking that would really be helpful. Like if you're just saying, I just need a plan, I need a starter plan, then what we've talked about over the years is a 10-10-80 plan, but I want to tell you this year that I'm saying it differently. Okay? Some of you can take a you know, collective gasp, okay? But based on, based on the fact that people are getting older, living longer, and also based on some of the changing times in the economy, I'm suggesting the 10, 15, 75%. Let me explain this a little bit. First of all, God says, whenever you get paid, very first thing I want you to remember is who or what's going to be first in your life. Do we all remember the Ten Commandments? God says, very first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, Translated, make me first. Let me be first. Matthew 6.33, I think we've got some of these verses on the screen. Read this with me. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And uh, so he talks again about what are you going to put first in everything, in everything in your life. And here's another verse that's meant a lot to me. Some of you know I love Proverbs 3. Here's what it says in the Living Bible. In everything you do, including money, what's the next phrase? Put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Here's a few verses later in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord by giving him the which part, friends? the first part of all your income, and he will fill your barns with wheat and barley and overflow your wine vats with the finest wines. And some of you say, I don't have property for that. Uh, the idea is he, he takes what you understand and he, he'll take care of you. Uh, then this last verse, Malachi 3, 8 and 10. Uh, this is, uh, talks about not only the order, but also the percentage. We're a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? What's the next phrases, friend? What's it say? In tithes and offerings. Tithes just means 10, 10%. So not only 10%, but tithes and offerings. And then he goes on, verse 10. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. What he's saying is, look, put me first. Bring the whole tithe, the place that you worship, and give it to God. And some people do that. Some people, you know, have figured out a way to give some, some way to the Lord's work. But I'm saying is, is that God says, look, do that. Why? Because it all came from me. And this isn't just about giving me the 10% and the rest is yours. But start off in a way that you set yourself up to win. Now, some people go, oh, my gosh, Jeff, this is the first time I've ever heard this. What do I do? I don't think I can do this next week right away. Well, if your heart's in it to move towards this, I would say start with three, five, seven, ten percent. But make that your goal to say, God, I want, I want you to be first and I want you to honor you. And I know that you're in charge of all hundred percent, but I want to return this to you. And then I want to get into a place where you are first in my life. Some of us do this by writing, you know, the very first check when we get paid or making sure that it's automated and set up so that he always gets the first cut of what we get paid. Other people, and for me, it's a worship service every time. I try and make sure before I write any other checks to do that. So again, that's something. I told you that made a lot of mistakes uh, in my, my life. First year of our marriage, I got real fuzzy on this, and my wife looked at me one day and said, I'd really like to make sure God's first in our family, and you've been paying. Are we doing this? And I go, ah. 
and we got back on track. But I mean, just want you to know, this is not something that just automatically happens. It has to be intentional. Second thing is 15%. Uh, the Bible says it's just like, the, go to the ant, learn from the ant. The ant is always setting aside so they're ready for the winter. Make sure you know. And so again, a lot of people work their whole life. You know, the average savings account when I first started doing this teaching was $250 for people that were 65 and older. They worked their whole life. They had nothing to show for it, like Mike was talking about in that. And so the idea is, is, is return to God the, the, the tithe, but then pay yourself. And this is for long range and for emergency and all that kind of stuff. We could talk more. Financial Peace University talks a lot more about this. And then spend 75% or less. Live within your means. I love this idea of give, save, live. Live within your means. And I love the word live even better than spend because you know what? It carries the idea of enjoy. Friends, if you get this order right and you begin to begin to set aside this and you begin to work and honor God's kingdom, do you realize that you can actually enjoy then when you buy that extra large size of popcorn at the movies? Do you realize that you can actually, when you're able to do something to surprise someone and bless them because you have out of that 75%, you can just respond like that? It's powerful. And God wants us to be able to give, save, live rather than spend, maybe save, maybe give. And so over the years, I've just watched people's lives get changed by this. But you know, this message is not enough. Doing something like signing up for Financial Peace University may be a really good decision for you. So um, let me just move to the front page here and bring this home, okay? So learning to be a faithful steward, here's the last two things I want you to see Jesus is saying here. By taking hold of an eternal perspective with money. By taking hold of an eternal perspective of money. For a couple of reasons. Here's what I mean. He says, look, take worldly wealth and use it in a way to make friends who will be there to welcome you into eternal dwellings. Some of us remember the song, Thank You, that was sung years ago. And it, here's one of the lines from it. It says, a missionary came to your church and his pictures made you cry. You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. The person was reached by that missionary. It says, one by one they came far as the eye could see, each life somehow touched by your generosity. Little things that you had done, sacrifices made, unnoticed on the earth and heaven, now proclaimed, thank you. Forgiving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. And you know, I was just, I'll just give you an example. You did this. In the month of December, many of you gave so that we could bless Fresh Visions Church and Nightlight Ministries. And I'm telling you, I've run into some of the people from Fresh Visions in our church they were touched deeply by that. And they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're going to be remembering that one day when we stand together in heaven, that we had a chance to do some things that encouraged each other. And there's going to be some women that were set free from sex trafficking. They're going to say, thank you for managing your money in such a way that that also included an eternal perspective. And there's going to be a moment when we stand before God that if we've learned how to do this right, he's going to say, now I want to trust you with more. Way to go. 
the last thing I want you to see is that really this all boils down to whether or not we'll settle the which master will I serve question. Which master will I serve question. Um, You know, Jesus tells this parable. Did you notice what happened at the end? The Pharisees sneer at him. Why didn't they want to hear what he had to say? It says because they loved money. They loved money even more than God, and Jesus exposed that. And he wasn't doing that to make them feel small. He was doing that to give them an opportunity to change. And friends, I just want to ask you this question. You know, we just asked three people, and we're going to ask seven people today in the services. Are you willing to let Jesus be the Lord of your life? The Lord of everything. The Lord of your whole life. Now, that doesn't mean we, we always respond perfectly, but that's the track that it means. The Bible says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him. And one of the ways we do it is to say, Lord, I've been holding this area back. John Wesley said the last thing to be converted in a person's life is their billfold. Some of you know that when the mercenaries were being baptized during the Crusades, a terrible time in history, they held their swords out of the water as if to say, I want to be able to still use this my way. So one of the ways that I do this, and some of you have seen this before, here's my billfold and my checkbook. I've been doing this for about 10 years now. There's my billfold and my checkbook. Aren't you impressed? Uh, But there's a little post-it note I want you to see, and here's what it says. This is just to remind me, because I forget Remember, this is the Lord's, I'm his steward, make him heavy. When the Bible says honor, that word means to make something heavy, to make them substantial in your life. And so here's the question. This is not anything I can decide for you. Have you settled, you will be my Lord? And I will learn how to take everything you've given me, my work, my relationships, my abilities, my money, my time, Show me how to do it with you and for you instead of for myself. And I've watched more people say that when they finally began to get that one settled, oh, they began to look at life differently. And then it looked like an opportunity rather than a curse. So I want to just give you a chance to bow your head and wrestle with that question. Is the Jesus, is he the Lord of your life this morning? And if he's not, Would you be willing to humble yourself and say, Lord, I don't even know if I want you to be the Lord. Help me get there. Or maybe you just need to say, Lord, I've gotten away from letting you be the Lord of my life and my money management. I don't even ask you anymore how you want me to handle it. Show me how. evil one whispers to us that the reason you want to be Lord is because you want something from us more than you want something for us. He's a liar. And so we pray that you will take all our fears, all our reservations, all our independent, self-willed spirit, and that you'll melt us before you and help us realize 
that you're the only proper Lord of our life. Thank you so much that you want to help us even in the basic area of money management. And I pray you'll set a number of people free. I thank you for all that you've done over the last 20 years in our church. In your name we pray, amen.